I don't. They don't have XR 750s anymore. Did they put an Did they put an XR 750 engine in a fucking in a Yamaha frame and fucking? With I'm sure they did, George. I'm gonna guess no know. on that one, but you never know. But to jump it with a street bike, dude, it's like ow. Oh, dude, he that's evil Knievel kind of shit. You that's know, even evil is. Knievel's kid Robbie Knievel, when he did jumps in the what, 80s and 90s, he used like a KX250 or something like dude, that. Dude, you know, today speaking of that, on, on YouTube, I found a clip of fucking the bullet chase scene. Is that the best or what, dude? <laughs> freaking phenomenal! <laughs> that man, that's a good time. Yeah, he did the crazy jumping shit, dude. He did do a lot of the stunts. He wasn't supposed to, but he like snuck in there and did it. Yes, he did. But you know, uh, uh, sorry to sorry to take away from your report. No, no worries. I'm happy to jump in. Continue, cut continue. In you. Jared Meese, uh, in the house. <laughs> oh, you're special, aren't you? Jared Meese began his 2017 championship defense by holding off teammate Brad Baker early in the race, and then holding off a late cha- charging uh, JD Beach. JD what? Beach is a Moto America road racer, but All he also right does on. some flat trekking. So uh, he Brad, gave him a run for the money out Brad there. It's pretty cool. Brad uh, Baker was that the guy that was on chips that was like from the race scene and like I ended think that up was being like somebody's little brother like <laughs> no way John Baker's brother was a road racer or stunt racer John John and Ponch yeah, that's an episode I missed because I remember John it's not just an episode dude he became a regular he was like what of, he was he became a fucking CHP officer oh Jesus oh yeah wow boy I missed the later it was the later years, years yeah <laughs> that's when that, well that's around when the Dukes of Hazard came out so nobody's watching fucking yeah I, there's a shift of demographics <laughs> Uh, your buddy Baker there would uh, claim fifth position, and J.D. Beach would settle for second, which is not bad for a guy that just gets out races once in a while. Uh, Cowie rider Henry Wiles charged from sixth place to end up third to complete the podium. KTM mounted Dan Bromley survived a couple of close calls to win the singles race.
Texas, from Texas, far from Texas, could not get more far out without swimming the Pacific to Red China, halfway back to Black Africa, past India, getting over England and France, cause she sees California. Sisters, singers. 
just relatives, relations, sisters, brothers, others, getting well, getting sick of that. We stick together. We stick together. Own our own weaknesses. Own our own strengths. We do not give up. Will not give up. That dream. Will not give up that dream. Just please make sure my grave's kept clean. Welcome to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val here at MutinyRadio.fm. We're broadcasting live from the Mission District of San Francisco. Today is September. What is the date today, my friends? 21st? I think it's the 20th, y'all. What did we do? Well, yesterday... It we, is the 21st. It is the 21st. Mm-hmm. That's right. Tomorrow is the autumnal equinox, so the seasons are changing, which seems kind of poetically appropriate because um, I'm here with some guests, uh, Gina Cristo and Wilnelia Rivera, who are out here from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and I met them yesterday at the She the People conference, where the, the theme was change. Um, so welcome both to Mutiny Radio here in San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, I was really happy to connect with you both yesterday. Um, so tell us, tell, tell us why you came to San Francisco for the She the People conference, because it, it was a big deal. We met there at the Julia Morgan Ballroom, downtown San Francisco. It was a room full of about 300 women, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, women from, I believe they said 36 states had come in, mm-hmm. uh, trying to organize, build community, build networks to get more women elected to office at all levels, and, uh, and in particular, women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, different you know diversity of voices and into politics so what brings you to san francisco for the she the people conference well first of all both gina and i are are movement building professionals and we are committed to um, working with change agents at the intersection of people planning and politics Um, gina can talk a little bit more herself about why she does what she does Um, but the reason why we came to the she the people summit is a it's really a a space that brings together all the kind of work that we do um, in particular and helping to elect um, women and people of color to office um, and all the work that it takes to, to do that. So 
for us it was almost like a half celebration of like being in that space with the, with, the, with, with such a powerful room um, but more importantly ma- building the connections for the future as we continue to do this work mm-hmm. yeah and we just um, you know we came back from or came out from Massachusetts after having elected Ayanna Presley who will be the first woman of color uh, to go to Congress from Massachusetts um, actually the first elected black Democrat in Massachusetts in 230 year history 230 years um, so we cracked the hell out of that glass ceiling and wow. wanted to sort of take a productive victory lap I think and mm-hmm. go meet and you know break bread with the women who really helped us get here uh, organizations like Higher Heights were really present in that room last night um, and just wanted to you know see our people was really what it was mm-hmm. and sort of re-energize and remember all the work that's happening across the country that's really cool um, so how did you get connected with these other organizations uh, initially because um, tell me about y- your your work as political organizers polit- political strategists mm-hmm. 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 so our journeys have been pretty different we met on, a, on Ayana's race um, I came here by way of Washington um, I was a boss I'm a Boston native but I went to college in Ohio um, and wanted to get my political teeth cut there and really fight for what I thought democratic politics should be um, didn't really find my way there and 2016 was a huge loss and a huge reckoning for me so I went to Emily's list hoping to help elect more women um, and then heard that Ayanna was running for Congress and <laughs> I was sort of like alright I'm going home it's time to, to go back to the Commonwealth and, and just make some serious change and, and that's how I met Wilmelia mm-hmm. um, and interestingly enough actually six years ago I actually walked away from professional politics burnt out and looking for self care um, and decided to complete my, my urban planning degree and just stay focused on sort of combining my experience with like my newfound kind of career um, but honestly after the 16th cycle um, I had some soul searching to do on whether or not I was comfortable with staying on the sideline um, or diving my or taking taking a, a leap of faith back into it um, and the tr- and I started through um, research um, and that's how I was connected through she the people so one of my clients um, the partnership for edu- education and democracy I do a lot of national research looking for candidate women and people of color candidates um, and for social justice organizations that do this kind of work together so I thought I can start that way I'll start slow research is you know makes me feel good I don't have to like be back in the campaign world which is like I'm like I didn't really quite want to do that but then Ayanna Pressey called me in November of last year and we've been really good friends for many years um, and before I knew it I was walking out out of that office in cold November in in, uh, in, in Boston rearranging my entire life um, so I can jump on board as her as her senior advisor um, and what that meant was basically Finding the beautiful people like Gina Cristo and others that we we hired on the on the team and somehow um, made history together. So that's that's really cool. You know, I I feel like um, at this point in time in our in our in our nation's history, we could say <laughs> we can uh, say that it's can, okay. You know, it's one of it sounds cliche, but it's it's a real thing. You know, um, it sounds cliche because that's such a man's thing to say. But now we're rewriting the history. That's word. why it's our nation's history. Yeah, yeah, taking it back. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I knew there was a weird thing the about saying that, right? Contextualizing it there, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah, because the, the 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 background of that whole thing is is it has been dominated by men and male representation. I believe one of the speakers yesterday told us that since the inception of of a U.S. Uh, Congress, there have been forty five hundred men elected and one hundred and thirty seven women. It's insane. It's insane. 
So, and there's so 25% of state, like only women only represent 25% of state legislatures across the country, like 25% in total. That's something I didn't know till yesterday. You know, I kind of felt it, but hearing that statistic just made me, and looking around at that powerful group of women, it just, you know, made me want to take over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. It was very inspiring yesterday. Like I was sitting there questioning, like, where do I go from here? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been, I, I, host shows here at mutiny radio um to keep people civically engaged um you know interview people a a year or so ago when we had uh local supervisorial Mm -hmm. races there were um three uh mothers who were running for supervisor and and they and two of them actually got on uh one um so we had you know moms for supervisor in here in conversations but i think that in the course of our nation's history it's come becoming kind of a herstory right now mm-hmm. because um she the people is kind of kind of representing that the the female narrative the the div- more diverse narrative the immigrant narrative of of where we kind of go from here and i i can understand why uh will nelia you had those moments where you're like well i guess i gotta do this because i feel like a lot of people across the country especially women are feeling that way and have been feeling that way especially since 2016 mm-hmm. so um yeah. No. Yeah. And and the and the reality too. I think for me, it was you know when we when we call ourselves movement building professionals. Professionals. What's different is that we're not in politics and we're not in this work for the pure science of the numbers and the ego. And I think for for a lot of folks in in politics or outside of politics, even more so, that's the distaste that most people have when mm-hmm. when it when it comes to it. Um, so when I look at you know the past work I've done, or even just most recently with this with this cycle, it's about building those leaders, right? You know, taking the taking that that 19 year old who says you know I'm inspired by this candidate I've never worked on a campaign before but like how can I get my hands involved in this right because I know that eventually the next campaign manager for the next local rep race that the next city councilor that 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 you know may have may have actually knocked on doors with us this past cycle right and that's the kind of work that we do that it's not you know the work isn't over on election day um, and it's not just a term plus plus by by 50 plus one mm-hmm. right it's like how do we really engage people mm. where they are mm-hmm. you know because most people people are more engaged in causes than they are in democracy quote unquote and how we define it here mm-hmm. right and right. it gets defined purely by just the ballot box and what we try to do is redefine that all together mm-hmm. because the truth is is that democracy when you look at it from like a pure like market perspective it is a brand that most people don't trust so the, what movement building folks like we do is really try to recreate that trust again because we recognize that what's what's missing from all of our all of our spaces like how do we reconnect again and like rem- remind each other that I have a stake in you and you have a stake in me and that my self interest actually isn't the most important thing it's a part of who I am but it's not the most important thing and I think that as you know if, we're, if I can be so bold and say that as Americans that's what we don't have. We don't have a compass. We don't have a framework that we can really say, like, this is what brings us together right now. What we have is, like, 10 or ten or 11 competing visions. And the reality is that 10 of them are losing and only one is winning. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, we got to get real about what's happening all around us. Right? So, and I can riff on this for, for forever. Um, but I just think that that's ultimately, like, what took me out of, like, being comfortable and choosing to, like, get back into this again and be, like, and get uncomfortable again. Um, because I think that ultimately that's really what it's about. Because if we don't, like, 
I don't, I'm not going to sit here and just wait and let others make the decision for me. I think we need to figure out how we expand this space and bring people in that normally wouldn't want to be a part of this because that's ultimately what it comes down to. Because if it's just people like me and Gina, we're not going very much, very far. It's not enough. I mean, we're pretty cool to hang out with, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of good ideas. <laughs> and the passion is passion. there. The intelligence, the intellect is there. Can we work on this together, folks? But no, I, I've, and, and that I think you're speaking to. Uh, the word of the day or that we've been working with um, these past couple of years is the intersectionality. Mm-hmm. Like at least, at least that word has really kind of become into the mainstream, but it's not quite mainstream yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, uh, ha- so h- how do you do that? How do you, how do you approach people and get them involved? Cause mm-hmm. I honestly, I have to admit being, um, I always plead the fourth estate and I don't knock on doors because I'm like, well, I'll come. There's I'll, other opportunities. I will, I will interview you. I will, I will talk about, about your ideas but I've always they're like you want to come volunteer I'm like uh you know I'm a member of the media so I probably shouldn't like just mm-hmm. get on anybody's train but I'll, I'll be honest I'm just afraid to do that kind of work particularly so how do you do it and where are you doing it and and what is that what does that groundwork look like and the other opportunities you were talking about Gina yeah so I, I want to come back to the intersectionality piece of it really quickly yeah um Ashley Marie P- uh, Preston was a woman of trans woman of color yesterday who got up and really just brought the house down and talked about how mm-hmm. intersectionality isn't just an idea. It's not a box we can check by hiring the right people. It's an ideology, and it's about bringing folks together to pursue our you know, our mutual interest and holding each other in this movement. Because if we're not intersectional, if we're not bringing all those people forward and doing it together, we're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And there's so much at stake now. And the, and the fact of the matter is there's always been a lot at stake for people of color and immigrants. Um, you know, it just took a bunch of white people to wake up because Hillary Clinton lost. But people of color have been organizing and doing this work for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the call for intersectionality applies to everyone, but it especially applies to white people like me who are stepping up in this movement uh, and remembering and appreciating all the work that came before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that foundation is is definitely there. Um, and I would say, you know, it's also much more deeply, I would say even like an, as a value add here that for movement people and people that consider themselves to be movement people, intersectionality is even more important. Mm-hmm. It's actually a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because if you say you're a movement person, you definitely cannot be asking people to self-select which parts of their identities are important at mm-hmm. that time. Right. right. So, and I say that because that's even especially more like a higher level of responsibility than just kind of the broader like white general public, which yes, there is a mass culture shift yeah. that needs to happen there, right? Um, but that culture shift is not going to happen if, if as movement building people, right. whether we're Asian, you know, API, we're white folks, we're, you know, Afro-Latinos, you know, black folks and what, and what that means. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, we're the ones that are going to model that cultural shift. Mm-hmm. And if we can't be it, we got to stop demanding it from the broader public. Mm-hmm. Because if we can't, and that's really the, the, I think the most salient point when it comes to intersectionality mm-hmm. that, that Ashley was trying to really like make clear to the rest of us mm-hmm. that I can't ask you to pick and choose who you are if we're movement building people in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to just thought yeah, of that no, as you were, as you were saying it. That's um, a really, and I think I will say everything at She the People yesterday really own, owned that 
that definition of intersectionality. Um, and it was just great to be in a room of people who were talking about it so openly. I know. And not as if it was like this controversial women's studies theory. It's like, no, bitch, this is our lives. It's like all of a sudden, yeah. my, my women's studies class from like 15 years ago, I'm like, oh my God, people are talking about these things. I'm like, oh. yeah. and they're I serious. And they're like, serious. Kimberly Crenshaw, the theorist who created intersectionality, was called out more than Michelle Obama yesterday. Same. Oh, yeah. Like, my had, inner dork was like, was like flipping around. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, um, but to go to your other, the second half of your question, um, as it relates to like how to engage with folks and how we, you know, not just how we've done it, um, over the course of the last cycle, but really as an approach, you know, I think, you know, part of what we're promoting through our, our, our consulting approach and our model is that we need to redefine the way that political campaigns are run, period. Um, and what it means to engage the, the you know, a volunteer base looks very different, right? So yes, the traditional way that I think most people are familiar with campaigns is like come and knock on a door or come talk to it or, 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 or do phone banking. The reality is that with the technology changes that have happened across, you know, you know or just across our social media, um, has really, it's really changing the way that we're, we're, we're um, executing political campaigns campaigns as well right so so for instance you know when when we had voters or we had excuse me volunteers that say hey I don't really feel like doing door knocking we're like all right then uh, do you want to do crowd building for this huge political event that we're going to be putting together and what did crowd building mean managing our text managing our hustle app yeah Right, um, and it's different for a member of the of the media. But I'll tell you this: there are more media folks at our political events oh sometimes than there were actual people. Yeah, yeah I, b- I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and with more momentum that we that we were getting and receiving, the more that you guys were there. As a matter of fact, on election day, because mm-hmm. I was at the central hub on election day for this past uh, cycle, at two o'clock, half the room was set up with media already. And that, you know, we didn't take, you know, I, what is, I wasn't paying too much attention to that at the time, but like, it just shows you that there's other ways that, you know, folks can engage And the whole point of a movement building campaign is to create different lanes for different people, mm-hmm. right? Even if that was the, the mom that all she can do was phone banking, but had to come with her child and who was three years old and we would let them run around. Oh my God. But an organizer would, uh, would be paying attention to make sure, you know, they weren't walking around with a pen, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Right. (laughs) Right? So it's just, the whole point is that there is not supposed to be one way to engage in politics and it's our responsibility as strategists and as people that are running campaigns to create that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also more important, you know, that you have candidates that value that because ultimately, you know, we can say do it one way, do it another way. But if you don't have a candidate that says it's important to me to walk into my headquarters and see like families engaged in my in my campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We had folks that I never actually physically saw. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, water would come in and we we're like, oh, the, the, the volunteer just make sure that we just got water for the next shift. Yeah. Right. So that's just the whole, that's the whole point. That, yeah. Like, it's a village. Right. Yeah. So. It's a building community within the movement. Correct. And on our spot, um, our campaign headquarters office was uh, in JP. Mm-hmm. on this corner um, where a lot of people in the community just came and hung out and it was awesome to mm-hmm. just really like be befriend those people in a really genuine way and have them just you know we we, we didn't talk to them about Ayana in the beginning we were just there to be friendly because we were in their space and they got as invested as we were and were the most excited when there were bumper stickers and pins um, so it's just like a, a little microcosm of sort of what she's talking about mm-hmm. that we just you know I'm really proud of the race that we ran and the way that we engaged all different types of people in our community mm-hmm. and it's clear that in our 17 point victory that we definitely did something correct <laughs> yeah word that's amazing like mm-hmm. congratulations for, for all of that work and, and to Ayana who's won the primarily heftily yes and uh goes on to to the to the election november Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I had a question that I, it, it popped right out of my head a moment ago. Um, but getting back to something, you know, something you said mm-hmm. earlier that, that also became a theme yesterday um, about like not being in it for your, you know, not being in it because of a self ego kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple people said it and Amy Allison, who, mm-hmm. who orchestrated this amazing <laughs> event, said it herself as well um, along the lines of don't think about who you want to be. Think about what you want to do. Yeah. And for that, and that is a big shift in the way of thinking about politics because yeah. we see this hist- this history mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. politics where it's all about ego. Mm-hmm. It's all about money and ego and how many people you can glad hand mm-hmm. and who's going to take care of you in the back, you know, after you leave the room, just so that you can get somewhere and make a name for yourself, get all these sponsors and, and like, you know, gain personally gain. Mm -hmm. Um, but the idea of, I mean, all the women there yesterday who really actually truly care, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a different focus. And so, um, as they were encouraging women to run for office, um, I think that that, I, that concept, um, is liberating Mm -hmm. in a way. And I think, it, and I think it points democracy as as the system, as this tool that we have in a very different, it kind of like repositions the compass mm-hmm. of, of uh, where we can where we can go as a society. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally. Um, well, I was going to read. Um, so yeah. part of the yeah. she the people yesterday. Which was so fucking cool. Sorry, I did, I, I did it. it had to be I did said. it. <laughs> um, I did tell you it was a free speech thing. Um, was uh, well, they had this uh, amazing, you know, pamphlet with with bios of all the speakers and the panelists. Um, but they also included this. Um, they called it an anthem. Um, it's a poem, basically, or a song, if you will. Um, so it was written by Elmaz Abinader, mm-hmm. and she is a uh, professor at Mills College. Okay. Um, so sh- she wrote this in honor of She the People, and it's called An Anthem for Now. So I'm going to read it and then um, see if we have we any discuss. response. And we yes. can discuss. Yes. All right. All right. Here we go. The world inside and beside me are one. Change starts when you listen to the heart. Hear this, country, you do not need a telescope to find us. Stars are among you. Shift your eyes from the corridors to the sky, from the sky to the home, from the home to the field, from the field to the classroom, hospital, factory floor, and street corners. Hear this, we are the voiceless and we will be heard. Not as a song to entertain you, not as a rule to be followed or a call to dinner. We call on you to listen to the voices that stream in from embattled countries and towns with names hard to pronounce and ways you do not see on TV. The world inside and beside me are one. Change starts when you listen to the heart. Country, hear this. The configuration is new again. Answers are not bought or bargained for. This is no backhaul game. Nothing is theoretical. The evidence is us, and we come here open hands to offer solution, inclusion, compassion, and generosity. Don't question it. So, country, it's time to welcome the unseen and unheard who have been doing your labor all along. Mm. But don't worry. We clean up good. (laughs) (laughs) We do damn right. (laughs) And stand before you and with you. See us. Hear us. 
with all our languages, accents, bodies, all our ages and wisdoms, it is time. The world inside and beside me are one. Change starts when you listen to the heart. So I just love that because, you know, when we talk about our race in particular, Ayanna wanted to run for Congress and everybody told her no. Everybody, you know, in Massachusetts, the national people that she had built relationships with, they all told her it's a terrible idea. You know, and if you look at Wilnalia and I and other folks who are on this campaign, our campaign manager, Sarah Groh, you know, she had a really serious, awesome job. I was working at Emily's List. I had benefits, you know. I had know? a great consulting, I had right, a great consulting like firm. She, like, you know, I don't, you know, like there wasn't a real, real need to no. change our lives in that way. Right, yeah. and you know, but our heart called all of us and called us to to pursue this challenging thing and you know we faced a lot of obstacles ones that are you know easy to explain and ones that are more subtle and are just you know the system as it is but we all followed our hearts and I think that was clear yeah and I think for me from more like you know emotional perspective and connected to to what I stated earlier you know what pushed me out of politics was you know half burnout um, and the other half just realizing that there was a glass ceiling put a, put in, put in front of me that I had already reached at a really young age, um, and I sought to look for the heart of the work elsewhere outside of politics because mm-hmm. I felt that at that time that there was no way that it actually genuinely can exist. So, and coming from a grassroots um, organizing background. I understood like where are the spaces and the nuance where that kind of heart-based work can be done mm-hmm. um, and went to urban planning school so I can learn more of the methodologies that allow me to do this in a more like social science way and I really felt that like it just wasn't possible right and for me to be here now six years later it's because I heard that call just the same way that that um, that, that Gina stated and the fact that Ayana was the one that made the call you know and it's why we were here and I think that ultimately, like, I'm staying in it and not going back straight just to doing urban planning work for the, because the call is official now. Um, and I have to step up to my own challenge and make my own, my, myself uncomfortable to push this kind of heart-based approach in politics at a time and in, in a context that still is very, that still very much the culture of it is ego-driven, right? And part of my approach of working inside and outside is because I want democratic and just overall politics in this country to be more heart focused you know i think a lot of times we will give it you know a good poet a good poem excuse me but are we really practicing the 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 not so much the values because we know what they are but are we building the structures that we know sustain those values are we developing the professional development that like young organizers need to stay in this work Right? Mm-hmm. Are we are we giving the support that young women and people of color need to become the next ED, to become the next campaign manager? Because that's really where the heart of the matter rubs, right? Because a lot of times we will externalize in politics and in organizing that the heart has to do with the community that we're serving. But if internally we're not serving each other with heart, it's going to be really hard for us to stay in this work forever, right? And and I think for me, when I see this poem, what's important that we understand that it's not just an external message; it's also an internal message about we treat each other and goes back to that movement building piece that I talked about if we want the greater country to have a cultural shift how are we bringing intersectionality and intersectionality is driven by heart because it means that you see people and you're not asking people to like compromise themselves against you know one side of each other so I'm so happy that you're here today on Women's Magazine both of you Um, because yesterday was so inspiring I, I went into it 
not really knowing what was going to happen. I just, I just remember re- I read about it. And I got excited. I'm like, I'm buying a ticket. I'm taking the day off work. Yeah. <laughs> so glad you did. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, it was really inspirational and, um, it shows me that, um, and like, kind of like you were saying earlier, Gina, just being in the room with all of those folks, all those people, all those women who, um, you know, get it and are getting it more all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, I mean, we, we had, uh, I mean, it talks about, you know, does it matter, you know, all our ages. We had Dolores Huerta there, yeah. who's 80. We also 80, had a 10-year-old. And we had that, a 10-year-old. Like, drop the, drop the mic oh for my all God. of us. You know what? <laughs> we'll take a musical break, and I've, I recorded her. I recorded yes. her. So let me find that. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, let's take a, a quick little musical break. Um, so you're listening to Women's Magazine here at MutinyRadio.fm here in San Francisco's Mission District. I'm Global Val here with Gina Cristo and Wanilia Rivera, who are here from Boston and talking about, you know, changing the world, of course. <laughs> liberals Sisters and brothers. The enemy is arrogance. The enemy is greed. Love and unity is really what the people need. The enemy is arrogance. The enemy is greed. Love and unity is really what the people need. Join us for love and fun. Love and fun. Love and fun. We're the troublemakers, help us save the world. 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 
All right, you're listening to Women's Magazine. That was the music from the Troublemakers Union um, from their song, The Anti-Fascist Funk. Um, I, I like it because they, they end with... Uh, some kids in there singing we're the troublemakers out to save the world and that's that's kind of we like to call ourselves the island of misfits yeah out to change the world that's right that's right that's right we're not just wallowing in our islands definitely not i mean sometimes there might be some wallowing like wallowing there's there's moments you know um so i think this is the track where uh, our 10 a 10 year old young woman young lady um lyric watts from sacramento um yeah she totally brought the house i think this is it let me, let me I... well today i am proud oh. to be a part of that youth generation and thankful that i am able to use my voice for good i am 10 years old and i have enjoyed it a dream to see young women rise up and be a part of the conversation on how we can make an impact in our communities and in our world. I believe that those girls, those women are in this room right now. Do I have any world changers in here? Let for change. On the count of three, repeat after me. One, two, three. She the people. She the people. She the people. She the people. Who is she? No, really, I really want to know. Who is she? She's the girl who dreams big. Come on. Who is she? She's the girl who believes she can accomplish her goals. Yes. Yeah. Come on, baby. Who is she? She's not intimidated. No. Did you hear what I said? She's not intimidated by society standards. She can start a revolution that's built on love. She is the one who gets up after being knocked down. She leads by example. She gets up no matter what. She can lead a nation. Yes, she can run for office. She can stand up for what's right. She can build our democracy. She has girl power. She can make a difference. She's a woman of color, and she, she can change the world. I want to leave you with this absolute truth. Their time is up because our time is now. Yes.
yesterday we were trying we're to like, remember we were like yeah. what was the line <laughs> yeah yeah that was powerful that was some powerful those are some powerful moments when she got up there it's a lot of power in a 10 year old body is all I have to say it makes me stand a little bit stronger in my own backbone mm-hmm. you know as a, as a someone three decades older than her <laughs> I know, I know. Everybody around me was like, "When you think you're grown up at ten, yeah. we got nothing on this girl." Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, she. I don't know. I don't know where she came from, other than uh, Sacramento. I don't know what the connection was, um, but she. Uh, they, when they introduced her, they said she had done some some public speaking or something uh, in uh, Sacramento. But. She had to do some sort of public speaking at, who knows, at a rally, some event where others yeah. saw, because both her parents were there, because I was next to the father, because like, yeah. other people were like, are you her dad? <laughs> and he yeah. was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were such a sweet family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just so powerful, I mean, for her to like, I mean, for, first of all, the wordplay, amazing, but like to end up with, to end with the statement, their time is up because our time is now, I mean, I just think that she really, you know, can, understands, you know, at 10 years old, what the doing part is of what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. Um, and yeah, that's all I can say. Just <laughs> and honestly, I mean, like, I, you know, I'm only 25, but the kids these days, man, like they are woke. <laughs> they are here. And, you know, like there are young people of color who are who are the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we had a really powerful group of young uh, spoken word poets who came to a bunch of different Ayanna Presley events yep. and were just oh, present cool. and a part of our movement. Yeah, so it was a real cool juxtaposition to go into like a very lovely posh home in Cambridge and bring our young seventy-year-old po- slam poetry poet from like Roxbury. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and so just like really bringing who wouldn't knock doors, mind you, but she would want to come she and give perform. her poem. Right, <laughs> just saying. Mm-hmm. I Full can circle. Re- yeah. I can relate. Yeah. I can relate. Exactly. I will come read a poem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta find your power you you find, know? Yep, yep. everyone's got their own power in this in this movement that's so cool that is so cool I know yes I mean and that's just I mean we got to share like one little snippet of yesterday which was a big moment because mm-hmm. she was the only youth to speak mm-hmm. um, and yeah she brought every, she brought the house down completely mm-hmm. like everybody mm-hmm. just went what yeah. <laughs> yes I think everybody was ready to go run a campaign right there yeah I'm not yeah. sure what it was but if I think if you would have asked us we would have said yes yeah yeah I was gonna vote for her you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, donate a dollar to I don't know what. Fill I in the blank. Fill Just in the tell blank. me what to do. Yeah, pass the hat right now, right yeah, now. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, we have just a f- really just a couple like we got a couple more minutes here okay. um, before our the podcast ends and the next one begins. So we'll try to we'll try to kind of wrap it up. Um, so let's talk for just a moment a little bit more about Iona Presley. Mm-hmm. Um, because she was on the uh, Boston she was a Boston Council. City Councilor at large yes um, and actually I'm gonna leave it to Gina to give a little bit of background on who Ayana is mm-hmm. you know I think you're yeah so um, you know Ayana likes to say that she was born into politics in utero um, her mom <laughs> <laughs> literally literally her mom was a housing rights activist in Chicago oh, okay. um, and she you know was knocking doors with her as a fetus um, <laughs> so she was just born into this family that you know well she was born to a mom who just really understood politics and what that meant. Um, raised by a single mom, her dad is 
published author who is now formally incarcerated but has really went through the system and so she grew up with that Wow. Um, came to Boston for school went to Boston University um, dropped out because she was sexually assaulted um, and also had to care for her mother who was in the beginning of uh, dealing with some leukemia and illness that ended up uh, taking her to the next life mm. um, but yeah she got a job working for uh, Joseph P. Kennedy II in his office as the Medicare liaison um, which is kind of insane to think about this like 20 year old (laughs) thank god it was Ayanna Presley because what she took away from that was just how effective government could be Um, so after that she went to work for John Kerry who really she credits as someone who just brought her up into this world and gave her a very serious platform, mm-hmm. um, was the scheduler through the presidential. And then someone approached her about running for the Boston City Council. And she tells the story that they tried to have a conversation with her and she walked away and was like, I need to go to Rite Aid. I'll see you guys in a little bit. And they like followed her and convinced her. She ran this, <laughs> she ran this incredible campaign, became the first uh, black woman to serve on the Boston City Council. Um, and then the subsequent elections was the top vote getter which means that in all of Boston she got the most votes for somebody running at large. Um, and that was the first time a, a woman of any stripe mm-hmm. was able to accomplish that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it was pretty incredible. Um, and you know, not for nothing, but she broke through that glass ceiling and now there's four women of color on the council. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really how she got there and the work that she did, she really became a survivor's advocate. She put women's issues on the map as a municipal issue in Boston that had not been addressed. Literally created a committee. Literally created a committee. Um, <laughs> She likes to say that she she started on the Boston City Council and would come in and say, what are you doing for women? And they would have no idea. And now she shows up to meetings and they hand her binders. So that's really the, the change. Yeah, it's really, you know, the getting it done, the foundational change. And, you know, she wanted to challenge a 10 year sitting Democratic incumbent, which does not happen in Massachusetts. And she fucking did it, you know. Um, and the great thing is, you know, Ayanna's story is a great uh, roadmap for building the bench. Right. When we talk about building the bench in the context of elections, we talk about who can win and what kind of people we want to see in office. But I think we need to shift the conversation to who, you know, when you're building the bench, you're serving the purpose and serving the people that you want to serve and building that community and gaining their trust so you can step further and go further on their behalf. And that is a really special ethos that she had the whole time. So, you know, don't sleep on Ayanna Presley, man. She's she's coming. Congressman woman elect, Massachusetts 7th. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And just just uh, off air real quick, we, we talked about how, because um, even I said it, it's like, oh, she's jumping from uh, city council Mm -hmm. to congress right um but what do you say about that well what i said in the context of uh for for ayana you know when you're boston city councilor at large um you're representing a little bit over six hundred and seventy thousand people um so if she were to run for state senate on it for first of all it would have been she would have been representing less people um and second of all it really just speaks to the patriarchy of telling her what what she needed to run and when right and one of the biggest challenges that that she had um as we were coming out of the gate was that you know she didn't wait her turn you know she broke the cardinal rule in Massachusetts politics which is that you don't challenge an incumbent Mm -hmm. Um, and not just that but like as a as a campaign we also rewrote the playbook of like well how do you run a campaign you can expand the electorate and not just rely on the same people that go out and vote right so just to give folks you know listeners like a little bit of a a context for what that means so usually for an election like this in Massachusetts you get about 60 62,000 people to come out in a primary we had 102,000 people come out Mm mm-hmm 
So, and the way that we did that is that we didn't wait until June or July, you know, when we think that voters would start paying attention. And first of all, we didn't, we also identified non-voters and, and converted them into voters. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's what movement building politics is about. It's about how do you take the folks that are already engaged and have a conversation with them really about like, what kind of country do we want to be and what kind of party do we want to be? Mm -hmm. Not about like what you need right now, but we can have that conversation too. But what do we want and who do you think gives you a better choice to move in that direction, mm -hmm. right? And then the second part, which is the larger majority of people, um, which are, you know, it's usually called the American Rising Electorate and it's unmarried women, people of color and millennials. Mm -hmm. They are the majority of eligible um, voters in the country. Um, and how do you actually speak to them? You speak to them through digital. Mm -hmm. You speak to them through through ethnic media, you speak to them through radio, you don't speak to them through the regular TV, and you don't speak to them through the regular mainstream ideology. And that's what we did different. We, we combined mainstream politics with movement building politics to show that we can do both. Mm -hmm. And that if we do both, we actually build a better democracy and not just win elections. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, neither of us are in this to win elections. So, and I think that's also a very important like shift in the ego that most people that come up in this work do it because of the, the pure joy of winning. Yeah. Huh. I'm like, I'm, I, my victory is defined by better when I can walk down a certain community that has not been invested in for decades and I can walk through that and see the people that have lived there be, 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 get invest get investment and be a partner in the change that they want to see. Mm -hmm. um, and coming from Massachusetts and where we live, and we have the highest income inequality in the country where we live, right? Like, yes, you can go to the Harvards and the MITs and all these other things, but those things don't mean anything to most people living in, Rochester, in, in Roxbury or in Chelsea or in Everett. Mm -hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, what we were all collectively able to do through Ayana was give people not just hope, but like a tangible action plan mm. that ultimately, honestly, for us is what matters the most mm -hmm. because yeah. hope is great. But if there's not a pathway and a real action plan to walk through together, then we're just going to be fall, falling flat, flat, flat in our faces again. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, here's to that not happening. <laughs> 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 because uh, we, uh, the, as the country wakes up, um, yes. that's the important part because yes. there's uh, far too much apathy for a long, long time. And let's um, not forget to have fun along the way because sometimes we also take yeah. ourselves so serious that we like, you know... Some people just want to live their regular lives. And if we come right. off so serious, they don't want to join us either. So, like, also remember that part.